The Lifestylist, episode 127, featuring Marcus Antebi and Teresa Lorenko. I'm Luke Story, a former celebrity fashion stylist and founder of School of Style. For the past 20 years, I've been relentlessly dedicated to my deepest passion, designing the ultimate lifestyle based on the most powerful principles of health and spirituality. The Lifestylist Podcast is a show dedicated to sharing my discoveries and the experts behind them with you. Chances are that if you're listening to this here podcast that you lead a very health conscious lifestyle and if you don't, you're going to soon if you keep listening. So do you want to get hooked up and save some money on life insurance because you live that lifestyle? I bet you do. Well, I recently found a company called Health IQ that's a life insurance agency that finds you discounted rates based on your level of health and your lifestyle. Now, they can save their customers up to 33% because of these stats. Check this out. It's staggering. Physically active people have a 56% lower risk of heart disease, 20% lower risk of cancer, and a 58% lower risk of diabetes as compared to people who are inactive and eat crappy food. So now is your chance to actually benefit from all of the hard work you've been putting in to lead a healthy lifestyle. To see if you qualify, go to healthiq.com forward slash lifestylist, and you are going to be really impressed with what these guys are up to. Very innovative system they've created. I'm totally behind it and can't wait for you to check it out. So again, go to healthiq.com forward slash lifestylist. Today's show is brought to you by my friends over at Organifi. Now, if you've been listening to the show, you know I always talk about their green superfood powder because I literally eat it every single day and I'm not even exaggerating. The stuff is amazing. However, they just sent me a tub of this new product called Organifi Gold. And dude, it is so good. It's a ginger flavored tea, sort of like a golden milk latte type situation. It's got turmeric, reishi mushroom, lemon balm extract, turkey tail mushrooms. Of course, it's totally organic. What's cool about it is you can make sort of a bulletproof drink, like a hot elixir with coconut oil, grass-fed butter, or ghee, or you can just make a smoothie with ice and you know some kind of nut milk or something like that. So you can do it hot or cold. It's got no caffeine, no sugar, and it really relaxes you. So I really like it at night. It's like a nice warm drink. You make a nice fatty little drink out of it. It's gently detoxifying and just really chills you out. So I'm super into it. So it's called Organifi Gold. You can get it at Organifi.com. That's spelled with an I. And as always, your old pal Luke's got a hookup for you. If you use the code LIFESTYLIST, you will save 20% on your order. So I'm still in the green powder, but I'm adding this to the nightly regimen now because the green powder's got a little bit of matcha in it, so I don't like to do that at night. I do that in the morning, and I do the gold at night now, and I'm about half a tub in, and I'm already freaking out because I'm running out. So check it out at Organifi.com. Use the code LIFESTYLIST and save yourself a cool 20%. 
Okay, before we jump down this rabbit hole of a conversation, we've got a couple exciting announcements. First up is that next week our guest is none other than world-famous health expert David Wolf. So I want you to check in. It's his second appearance, and it is lit. So subscribe to the show so you don't miss next week's episode with David Wolf. Next, I want to tell you about a couple upcoming speaking engagements. You know I love talking to you behind this mic all alone in my studio, but what I really like is meeting you and giving you a big old hug, getting to know who you are as a listener to the show. So I encourage you to follow my events when I'm speaking or participating in public. Come chill with me to find out what I'm doing at any given moment and get passes or tickets to those events. You can always go to lukestory.com forward slash events to see what's cracking. If you're on my email list, I of course email you when I'm participating in an event too. If you want to get on the email list, that's stupid easy. Just go to lukestory.com forward slash newsletter. Makes sense, right? All right, here's the speaking gigs. First, I'm doing the Neil Strauss Intensive known as the most interesting man in the world. And that is going to be in Marina Del Rey this Friday, March 9th. Then we've got March 24th, Whitma Live held at Noya House Hollywood. Really dope location where I'll be moderating a panel on meditation and mindfulness. This is a massive event that you do not want to miss. It's insane. The lineup is out of control. Next up, I will be live streaming and podcasting as the official podcaster of the Longevity Now Conference with David Wolf and company in Anaheim, California. That's April 6th through 8th. I've been going to this thing every year for at least 10 years, and I just can't stop going. It's one of the most fun events ever. So I'll give you some more information on Longevity Now in a second, but in chronological order, the next event will be April 24th, where I'll be speaking at Soho House's Little Beach House in Malibu, another fantastic location where I'll be talking about orgasmic meditation and biohacking sex. Yeah, that's right. You heard right. Next up, I'm doing a Meet the Hacker Night at Bulletproof Labs in Santa Monica, California. So again, to find any and all events that I participate in, you can find them at lukestory.com forward slash events. Now on to the Longevity Now Conference, one of my favorites in the entire world. Again, that's happening April 6th through 8th. If you want to come for free, guess what's up? I have three sets of tickets that are worth 900 bucks per pair. Actually, no, $1,000 a pair. So if you want to win two tickets for you and a friend to come for free, you can enter this here little contest, okay? Super easy. Just text the word longevity now to the number 44222. Only works on a US phone though, that's the catch, but super easy. So text this number 44222 in the body of the text, write the word, one word, longevity now. Now, if you don't want to do it on a phone, you can go to bit.ly forward slash longevity loop. So in a browser, that's bit.ly forward slash longevity loop. Or just grab a US phone and make it easy on yourself. 44222 is the number. Longevity now is the word. Okay. If you want to just purchase tickets to longevity now, those are on my site lukestory.com forward slash events and early bird is $2.97 that goes for a while then they go up to $4.97 so just get your tickets now and come chill with me and just about every other health expert in the world April 6th through 8th you might even just get thrown on my podcast I'm going to be running around with my mics and cameras if you look interesting you might just end up on the show so check it out lukestory.com forward slash events all right, you guys, let's dive into this episode. Today's guests are Marcus and Tebby and Teresa Lorenko. So Marcus is a native New Yorker who founded one of my favorite businesses called The Juice Press in 2010. That's the largest vegan grab-and-go food chain 
ever. It's amazing stuff, all right? So with the help of his partner, Michael Kersh, they built their company to 71 stores in seven states while upholding their primary unshakable principles of sharing their passion and love for unprocessed plant foods that taste great. And let me tell you what, when I first found this spot uh, years ago, I guess it must have been 2010, I was stoked because it was really hard to find clean, healthy food at the time. So I recorded this episode in New York City. I've been bugging Marcus literally for like a year and a half. Every time I was in the city, I'd text him, dude, let's do it, let's do it. He's a really, really busy guy. He's an insanely prolific entrepreneur. So he showed up at my Airbnb and brought along his lovely fiance, Teresa, who was a former model and kind of escaped the fashion industry like I did. And then we kind of just invited her to the table and she participated a bit too. So it was fun. It ended up being kind of a three-way family conversation of sorts. Uh, So I've been going to the Juice Press for years and I'm really excited to get to the guy behind this and talk about a plant-based diet and just really like the ins and outs of of how the juice industry works and some of the dirty little secrets and about the glass bottles versus the plastic bottles and pasteurization and GMOs and all of this stuff. And it was also a really interesting conversation for me because... um, Marcus is so adamantly plant-based and sticks to a vegan diet and has for a really, really long time. And it's been a while since I've had someone on the show with that particular perspective, lifestyle-wise. I think the last one was, well, there's Rich Roll and Jason Robel, like two really big vegan advocates. But for the most part, for you know the past year and a half or so, I've had a lot of people that really lean toward the paleo approach to diet, doctors and uh, you know athletes and whatnot. So it was interesting, again, to get that perspective. And he's like so passionate about it. I was like, damn, maybe I need to eat more vegetables at least, you know? So it was an interesting uh, conversation. And it's, it's a long one. So I want you to stick through to the end because the amount of like inside scoop that's given here is immense. So here's what we talk about. Why cold-pressed raw juice is so much more powerful than pasteurized. Who is the juice pioneer Norman Walker and why is he so important? Then the best and worst juicers on the market for home use. Turns out a lot of them really suck. Why you want to avoid most stevia products. How Marcus dealt with the USDA and FDA food inspections as he was building his juice empire. The challenge in finding local organic produce year-round. Why eating locally grown food is not always the best option for your health. The top five ways to avoid getting cancer from your diet. The reason processed sugar is the worst thing ever. And then we pose the question, is a ketogenic diet really healthy and sustainable. The dangers of the paleo diet from Marcus's perspective. The amazing healing powers of a three-day water fast, something I've been wanting to do for a while. So this is a fantastic episode. It's packed with information. And this is like a classic New York episode because Marcus is so New York. So it was really fun to uh, to sit down and talk to him. And I've been looking forward to sharing this with you for a while. So check this one out. And don't forget to tune in next Tuesday for my episode with David Wolf that is just epic. So we're building up and building up as 2018 moves. Moves on. So at this point, all I need you to do is to sit back, relax, and enjoy this conversation with Marcus Antebi and Teresa Lorenko. So here we are on another episode of the Lifestylist Podcast with Marcus Antebi and Teresa Lorenko. And Teresa was an add-on guest that Marcus brought, and I appreciate you bringing a beautiful lady to add to the show's ambiance. So welcome to both of you. Thanks Thank so you. much. Thank you. Thank you for having Yeah, dude, it's really Happy good. Happy to be here. Thank you and grateful, and thanks for the opportunity. Yeah, man. So for those of you listening, Marcus is the founder of The Juice Press, and if you've ever spent any time in New York City and you're at all into health, 
you've probably pounded some juices there. And I found this maybe eight years ago when organic food and live food and things like that were really hard to find in New York City. And I found the one on Houston and First. Then they just seemed to mushroom up all, all over the city. And then we ran into each other in one of your locations. And I was like all starstruck. I'm like, you're the dude. And then we had a great conversation. And now it's maybe been two years I've been like, literally stalking you every time I'm here. Let's record, let's record, and we're finally here, dude. So It's awesome. Thank you very much yeah, for that so, introduction. So I'm glad. And then Teresa is, of course, your fiancé. That's how I met him, the same way you met him. It is the same when way. You're like, when oh, my God, when the store the first open. Awesome. <laughs> oh, that's great. That's great. And you're obviously like into the health and wellness lifestyle and everything like that. And Yeah, very much so. I was a raw foodist. I started um, raw when I was 20, so I've been raw on and off for the past 16 years. I was strictly raw for eight years. That's when I across juice press because that was one of my favorite places wow hardcore and then we're going to get into your background but from what you mentioned just in the brief five minutes that i've known you you were in the fashion industry modeling yeah i've been a model for 23 years and i was in it in the high fashion world i did all of every single show possible i was john guyano's muse when i was 14 that's how i started wow what a trip and my first campaign was dior because he was back then he was a designer of dior and I mean, I've pretty much done every single magazine out there, from Vogue to Elle to Harper's, whatever. Have you, done, have you done uh, Vegan Times? No. <laughs> I, need, I, I need to make that transformation now from high fashion to We're going to talk about that. <laughs> We're going to talk about that. Hey, listen, I escaped the fashion industry, and now I'm doing this. So, you know, it's totally possible. So let's jump into the beginning of the juice press. So, dude, you're a masterful entrepreneur. I have been observing the growth of your business and just from one business owner to another, you've managed to scale something into this, like what I assume to be a worldwide takeover at some point, but definitely in New York city, like you are the quintessential king of juice. Right. And so, well, I would say first and foremost, I want to make sure that I give credit where credit's due. I have a phenomenal close friend named Kenny Dichter who helped me scale the company and introduced me to my primary partner Michael Karsh, who's his brilliant leadership and his involvement in the company has really, it's behind the scenes. I'm, I get more credit than due. Certainly, I'm the founder of the company, but it's stuff that I've done with Michael in the company that has really made it what it is right now, which is where currently we're at 71 stores in seven states. <laughs> what? Are you serious? 71 stores. And we have, I didn't even know you broke out of New York yeah, yet. When have, did that, like last time I saw yeah, you, I didn't even think that had happened. Quick. You know, it's been very strategic for us. And I think yeah. um, the juice movement had a real explosion about six years ago and it seems from the surface which we're not in the industry that there's so much of it and it's really not true at all actually if you look in new york as an example where there's tens of thousands of restaurants the percentage of them that are actually juice bars are so extremely low so it's just it's one of those things where when you finally go into that category and you look at it you feel like it's everywhere but it's still a very small industry and What's happened in the last two or three years is that people move too fast in that industry without overcoming the enormous obstacles of being in this industry, price point being one of them, and the other one is shelf life and what the consumers actually want. And what I set out to do from the very beginning, and Michael and Kenny helped me maintain, is I wanted to create a product that had the integrity and the quality that I wanted to consume myself. And it's never been perverted, no matter how large we've grown. In fact... In actuality, it's improved dramatically since I was a one-store operator. So, Where was the first one, like in the East Village? The first one was on East First Street. It was 250 square feet. I had no idea 
why I was getting into the business and I was going from being in retail my whole life, I was going from dry retail, whatever kind of merchandise you saw. I had retail stores in the skydiving industry. I was skydiving for 13 years and my family business was art and antiques. So I was very familiar with the ins and outs of retail, just didn't have any experience in food. I had a lot of experience in this category because I fought competitive Thai boxing and this was my diet for a few years. And my motivation to start the business was I was, like yourself, very dissatisfied with the variety of commercial enterprises that was serving the product. Each company did something well, but no one actually did it all right. So my intention was to build something for everyone I knew, and I didn't really think of it as a business until I actually opened it and saw it. And I was like, okay, this is real. And I sank all my savings into the first store with the intention of scaling it. I didn't see myself mopping floors in one store for the rest of my life. And I came into the industry, I had very good timing, and my personal marketing approach that I carried over from the other retail businesses that I was in seemed to hit a nerve for New York consumer. And what sets us apart in the early days was just operation. You know, I work 16 hours a day, 17 hours a day, and do everything possible, micromanage everything, and just get the job done. And I didn't really feel that my competitors had that same motivation. And I certainly feel that some of my competitors were great marketing, but they were terrible at making juice. Others were phenomenal at making juice, but were terrible at marketing. I was fortunate that I felt like I had a really good knowledge of both things. And today where we're at is, you know, we still have an unbelievable raw product. Our core product is not HPP, high pressure pasteurized, which gives you a 30 to 45 day shelf life. Our core product is a short shelf life from two to three days shelf life. And the major advantage of that is when you're bottling a juice, which we all now enjoy that type of product because it's a grab and go product, it tastes better, it's cold pressed. The major advantage of that is that without HPP, it just tastes better. When a juice is HPP, high pressure pasteurized, and it starts to get to the third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh day of its life, it just diminishes terribly in taste. There's certain products that HPP is really suitable for. Obviously, if you're trying to get your product into an airport or it's a supermarket brand product or coffee products, you could really live with HPP product. But a premium product where you're using USDA organic produce and you're really trying to get the maximum nutrients and a really vital product, it's the freshest product out there. And we have just an impossible number of SKUs, that's, you know, flavors, which is a huge obstacle to growth. I held on to that business model, uh, was warned against it by the best people in retail, how many SKUs we had. My partner, who's very intelligent, when he first came in, he was against it, and then he converted and said, this is how it has to be. So when you come into Juice Press, the selection is unparalleled. We're doing the hot soups, we're doing packaged goods, we have salads, we have an unbelievable raw superfood bar, we're completely vegan, which is a, one of my tenets of nutrition. And I think also what set us apart too is my passion to spread knowledge in a humorous way. And I think that also rings home for a lot of people. The thing that I see going on in the California movement is I see a lot of people popping up that have the heart for the industry, but they may not be great operators. And then there's some great operators that don't necessarily have the, the core values of the great juice movement. In California, it's just extremely competitive. So our move to California is not, the timing of it's wrong for us because we have so many obstacles that we've overcome here and we've defined the category with the number of stores we have. 
and our distribution and our production and just all the obstacles to being in retail. So I see we're building a store right now in Seattle, Washington, which is a West Coast advance. It's as far west as you can go. Nice. We're partnering with the quarterback from Seattle Seahawks, Russell Wilson. <laughs> Damn, dude. Nice move. And we're building in Las Vegas at the... Um, Oh my God. Bellagio dude. Hotel. Las Vegas yeah. is like such a fucking vortex of junk. <laughs> like, it's like maybe my least favorite square 10 miles on planet Earth. Right. But one of the main things that's a bitch about Vegas, it's literally impossible to find anything healthy to eat there. Right. They have one Whole Foods like way out of town, which. They have, they, I think they have like one raw food Do place they out there. So I remember <laughs> I mean, when I went out there, I was in search for oh, it. Oh man. You I, know, even Whole the Foods. Guys that, the guys that opened in. Nevada, they opened it because juice was a great category. They right. didn't open it because they live and breathe the product. Yeah, yeah. And what happens after two or three years, through the rough times of being in that business, they lose momentum. They lose the passion. And then it's about margins and the things that actually start to dilute the brand. And you don't have staying power with that. It's tough. It's a tough industry. Freshness is the enemy of scalability. It's just a fact. Yeah. And there's a reason why when you walk into... The 7-Eleven, it's just fake food because you can ship that. It has a million years shelf life. It's the same thing everywhere. It's just easy product to deal with. And that's actually what the food industry really has to be because everything else is really unnatural to what the earth is providing. So there are a lot of great one-off restaurants, but today the consumer wants the convenience. And in the beverage industry, which we're in, you want to build a habit. And people are now in the state of mind where if they love to drink a juice, they don't want to walk 11 blocks to their favorite organic spot. They want to go, what's around the corner? What's on Seamless? What's an app for that? So that's just where the landscape of this industry is right now. In New York, there's just no one doing what we're doing. My best competitor went out of business twice, by the way. And the earlier competitors changed their model. They just either sold it to a company and said, we can't do this. Who's going to do this? So they had to convert into you know, a processed food company to survive. And they're not doing great because it's a wishy-washy message. I could talk forever about juice, but it's not necessarily the most exciting subject that I can talk about. I think my field is my passion for diet and nutrition. And I talk about it in a way that I think has really helped Juice Press stand above all the other food industries that are out there. Well, I wanted to cover, and I'm glad we are, the business aspect of it. And I think that's why I started. Just like, oh, okay. what's the, you know, the path of the entrepreneur that's going in this direction? I definitely want to talk to both of you about the nutrition piece because that's the first thing that I actually noticed when I found the one on First and Houston, I think it was maybe eight years ago. So JP1. What's that? It's called JP1. Is it? Yeah, because yeah, it's that's the first it. one. Oh, yeah. that's the first that's, one. Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah, first okay, one. okay. Yeah, and it's a tiny little place, but you know, I mean, I'm really good at reading labels. I walk by, I read the signage, like I can, two seconds, I know if it's for me or not, you know? And I think at the time I was still a vegetarian, which was even harder in New York City. And so I remember I found that place and you said like how you want to create like someone who's a daily consumer or whatever, and they don't want to, you know, have to travel too far. When I first started coming here, we did our classes in my business at the Ace Hotel and so I took a cab down there. I found I it used on to the travel internet. too. Yeah. It was Dude, the only place. I, took a ba- I took a backpack and I must have bought like a fucking $150 worth of your juice, put it in my backpack. And I was like, cool, I'll just hop in a cab. 
And then it was like that shift change shit with the taxis where none of them would stop. And then it started <laughs> raining. And so like, and I don't know how to take the trains. I'm like, really, I'm retarded in New York. Like I'm a total newbie. Even then, I mean, it was way worse. So I remember, dude, I walked from that spot to the Ace Hotel on 29th and Broadway. It was like 50 pounds of juice in my thing covered. And it was like a torrential rainstorm. Just that was my first real juice press experience. But it was worth it because you're doing it right. I saw that they were cold pressed you talked about Norman Walker. No one on a commercial level talked about Norman Walker and that whole process of juicing. Hey, you know what? My thing is to always pay due credit to the people that actually make things possible. Right it. Norman Walker was a pioneer. He is the American founder of juice. Juice is not an ancient practice. Let's just be clear about that. Right. It's a modern medicine for modern sickness. And Norman Walker is one of the pioneers of that industry by accident. So if we had been living, let's say, a thousand years ago, you guys... Right. We wouldn't be needing to pound green juice because we no, wouldn't be well, bombarded with pollution well, and toxins. We'll in the talk food about that from a true study of humankind. It really would depend on the region you came from oh, and okay. the belief system of the tribes or the people that you live with. So, uh, good nutrition is not universal just because it was 10,000 years ago because starvation existed and bad food existed. It wasn't processed, but they had mechanical advantages that we don't have today, which is one, they weren't breathing poisonous air. They were drinking clean water, and most of them had a rich metaphysical and spiritual worldview. Wrong or right, it played a big part in their overall health. Right. So really, we want to model ourselves after the successful humans, not necessarily people that lived right. in regions where right, food right. was not available. And I think right. the great model of all food and lifestyle are the first humans that are as close to what we are today are the aboriginals of Australia before they were settled by English. You look at how they lived their life and the lifespan that they had and their belief system on what food was. It's really a great model, and it's actually something that we can easily return to, whereas we can't walk down the street naked anymore with didgeridoos, and we're not on walkabouts looking for water. Unfortunately, yes. Unfortunately, their societies are the model for the societies that were here in South America and North America and further up in Canada. So... The natives of South America and North America had a corn-based agricultural society, which in my opinion actually, in truth, is the decline of civilization. Whereas aboriginals, it was against their dream time to plow the land and manipulate it for food. They were true hunter-gatherers, and their faith system believed that when they needed food, it would make itself present. And before they were pushed out into the desert by the English settlers, they were true vegans, because that was their dream time law. When they were pushed into the desert, they were forced to forage for things that weren't actually in their diet, snakes and grub worms and kangaroos and emus. And that's when their society began to actually allow themselves to die off because they broke their own dreamtime laws. And that's abstract and interesting. It just segues into other discussions of how we actually look at food today. I got distracted, so it's okay. Get me back on. <laughs> no, 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 it's uh, good. I'm fascinated, dude. We're, right. we're I'm just letting you go. It's, yeah. it's awesome. No, you got to keep me. On, I'm very distracted today. No, no, uh, no. It's 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 wonderful. Keep me on course. So I want to. So I want to go. I want to. A lot of people are like, "Oh, juice is good for you, vegetables, yeah." But I want to get back to like the OG Norman Walker juice press. Like, how did you find out that that's the way you juice? Like, not the centrifugal grind up. Nothing's juice wrong with kill- a centri- Nothing is wrong with a centrifugal juicer, except it's not good for commercial juicing but if you juice at home are you perfect you're not killing the enzymes no first of all you can't minor amount really you can't kill an enzyme enzymes aren't living 
Okay. You can <laughs> you can denature an enzyme. Okay. And okay. you can affect an enzyme. Okay. But the amount that you affect it is abstract. And for what the real problems are in your life and your diet, that's not one of them. Okay. You make yourself crazy. People make themselves crazy with the wrong thing. So if you have a rotary juice machine because it's convenient and you like the way that works and you're making juice on demand and you're drinking it, you got no problem. If you want to store certain things, store very well. Like ginger, you could grind up ginger all day long and keep it in your refrigerator for a week and the taste is there. That means it's still ginger. Right. How much nutrients you lost, 10%, 15%, doesn't matter. It's still unbelievable ginger and it's better than the garbage that people are eating as an option. So people focus on the wrong thing. The Norman Walker machine is way too complicated for the novice juicer to have at home, this 40-pound machine that blows up all over the place. It's really slow, too. Is it? It's slow. slow. (laughs) It's a beautiful machine in theory, and if you're like, oh, I got to have a $2,500 machine sitting on my counter, I recommend it. It's unparalleled in the taste quality and the varieties of things that you can put in there. There's certain things you just can't do well on a rotary machine. Ginger is like putting wood chips in a machine. It doesn't have a great yield. If you grind it first in the triturator of the Norwalk and then press it, you get a fantastic maximum yield. And then the pulp that's left over, it has so many uses. You can make tea out of it. You can put it in cookies. Ginger and turmeric, they have like this unbelievable lifespan. You can just keep using it for different things. You can take the pulp and blend it into your smoothies. And it's such an antimicrobial. It lasts for a long time. So I love the Norman Walker machine for that purpose. Certainly for small institutional use, like a hospital or something like that, where they're making juice, they're amazing. But for home use, I like the uh, slow, like the auger type machines that are kind of crushing the produce. That's what I have, yeah. It's like kind of a corkscrew type thing, yeah. Those like Green Star and the Champion, the Omega. Yeah, I think mine's the Omega, Those are good machines too, but it depends on what you're doing, right? If you have a beach house and you're on the go and you don't want to clean stuff, the Nutribullet, unbelievable machine. You're not making juice, you're making smoothies, but it's pretty amazing to have that as your meal. So you have to uncomplicate the process and just say, okay, the key here is I'm leaving out processed food, I'm not making dietary mistakes, and I'm eating a shit ton of produce. So that's actually pretty spectacular. And it's great. I feel like I'm a salesman for this, but it's actually great (laughs) for the whole family. Listen, if you have guests over, who doesn't want a smoothie for breakfast with a cup of coffee as opposed to eggs and bacon and bread and potatoes? That's what I offer the guests. Smoothie bowls with fruit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I would say... 60% 60% of my diet is made in a Vitamix. <laughs> Mine know? too. Like, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, that's the thing. Like you, you can put, you know, I mean, I take like whole cucumbers, celery, avocado, cayenne, whatever, just anything green. And I put a, maybe a little stevia in there and like, you know, there's lunch. It's, uh, Let's come back to stevia later. Okay. I'm going to okay. talk you away from stevia later. I, I don't know. The one brand I use, dude, I interviewed the founder of Omica. I don't yeah. know if you know the company. I got a whole episode, an hour on the stevia industry and all the scams you, and shit. For the purpose of this show, do we want stevia to be a darling? Or it doesn't matter. No. Do you mind no, the aftertaste? Whatever, you, whatever exactly. your opinion Forget about is. the aftertaste. The aftertaste stevia is comes from a leaf, but it's the most processed sweetener in the entire sweetener industry. So it's not the savior to mankind. Right. Well, I also used ground stevia leaf that's totally right. unprocessed okay. too a powder that's better. but the same company does right. make an extract that's right. very processed yeah. but I'm not clean. being I'm not being critical or technical no, no, it's the cool. reason I'm bringing it's it up cool. is because as a smoothie company I can say to a person on a diet I can say no additional sweetener is better than some sweetener but it's not that bad because again that's not the core mistake of your diet is that you had a tablespoon of stevia 
if that's the biggest mistake of your life, you're doing fine. Yeah. But really looking at it more closely, and you're saying, okay, how do I, like you asked, you said, how did you get to Norman Walker, as an example? It's yeah. just because I'm very analytical, and I just look at stuff, and I go, okay, tell me the truth. How do I learn more? When we did Juice Press, we really know that people are not going to come in and pay $10 for a smoothie that tastes bad. So obviously certain types of smoothies need a little bit of something. So you try yeah. to pick the best sweeteners that are out there. And in our industry, the one that I'm in, there's really nothing terrible out there. Agave gets a bad rap because it's nonsense. There's nothing absolutely wrong with raw agave. Oh, it's bad for this. It's, bad. it's, it's not true. I can go to bat with anybody and spend an hour just discussing why it's not any worse than maple syrup or using you know, uh, coconut nectar. They're really doing the same thing to you having it in equal amounts. And it's not the problem in most people's diets. Again, people are pontificating. They're being purists, but they're actually not purists. Their diet is lousy in all other compartments, but they want to spend an hour scaring people away from a sweetener. That doesn't lead people on the right path. Right, right. Bring me back down to something that uh, uh, yeah, yeah. I'm getting. I'm well, no, 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 no. It's all, it's all it takes good. me time to warm up. This, I'm trying to warm Dude, up. you're warm. You're warm. I'm not. This, I'm, I'm actually I'm on a bad roll right now. <laughs> I see I see why we invited Teresa, and I'm going to get to her, and we're going to okay. balance this all out. No, but I see I'm also someone that likes to find the best way of doing it, the best shit, whether it's a supplement, you know, the best way of juicing, all that. And so I think that's what really struck me about your spot when I first went in. I was like, whoa, these guys are doing it right. Everything's totally legit, organic. There's no funny business. like, And I think why the press juice to me was attractive, well, I guess I had an erroneous belief about the enzymes or whatever, but is that you can get like those really potent green leafy vegetables yes. in there too. You can't like juice parsley and char and shit like that If you do a yield test, if you do a yield test, a rotary machine will yield less than a press. But make no mistake, the Norman Walker is a bladed machine. Just like your bladed machine, it just has a little bit different principle. The rotary machine is using centrifugal force to separate the pulp from the juice. You drop it in there, it grinds down a blade, it shreds it up, and then centrifugal force throws the pulp into a garbage chute and the liquid comes out. It's an okay yield. It's not an amazing yield. There's stuff, a lot of stuff missing. If you touch the pulp, it's wet. Flies will go to it. If you take the pulp out of a rotary machine and you put it in your rabbit cage, the rabbit will eat it. When you go to the Norman Walker machine, he's using a blade that spins at about 3,200 RPM, and if it's sharp, it's just grinding down the produce into a pulp, a mosh. Then that pulp goes into a little cloth bag, and then it goes into a hydraulic press. If you're doing it correctly, the way Norman Walker designed that machine, the yield is unbelievable. Your pulp is dead as sawdust afterwards, and you're just able to go into produce that have terrible yields in general because they're not extremely... There's not a lot of water in the encapsulation of the fiber. So the problem with the rotary machine on a commercial level is if you're juicing on a machine for five hours at a time, that blade is going to become 185 degrees. So you're technically cooking your juice in the pan that it sits in on the blade. Right. You could measure that. You can take a carrot at 39 degrees and then measure temperatures as you're moving along and just basically see that you're heating your juice. So you're technically cooking it. You could cook your juice accidentally on a Norwalk too if you're not careful because those machines are not commercial machines. They're prosumer. So if you're just sitting there putting kale and dandelion, really incredibly difficult produce, like a forest in there, and you're not paying attention, spinach being one of them, if you put a thermometer in the pan of the pulp, it's 120 degrees. You've cooked your produce. So 
the people that started using them commercially would keep ice bags all over the machine to keep it cool. Also not a commercial machine. The bigger machines that have been used and that were kind of designed on the same principle are the machines made by Good Nature, which is a very popular machine. It's $30,000 machine. It works on the same principle, but it's just a much larger blade. And you're just grinding produce through a chute. It's all dropping into a bag. And then you're pressing it. That's designed for five hours, six hours, seven hours of just beating it to death, beating it to death, beating it to death. And the yield is unbelievable. I mean, you can see in the really bad stuff that doesn't have a lot of water what comes out of it. And when you compare the taste, the cold-pressed juice just tastes better. So the other advantage of cold-pressed juice is that the really green juices that have shard and dandelion and bitter stuff, they're undrinkable by the novice juicer. If I gave that to somebody on the street and I said, here, try this, it tastes like I'm pushing his face in the mud. But if I put it in a refrigerator and drop the temperature, the cold temperature actually makes it drinkable. That's really the secret of why bottle juice kicked off a movement that the standard American juice bar never really broke through. Right, right. Because I remember back in the 80s, dude, I was into juicing, you know, and it's like they had the grinder type juice right. and then they'd hand you like a big gulp of carrot juice and it would be warm. Yeah, and, and, and then, <laughs> you know, the, the smart juice yeah. companies added ice cubes. Right, right. Which is not so bad, but it's like not really the same thing. So first of all, my best seller is one of the darkest green juices we have in the city of New York. And if I try to drink that at room temperature, I have a hard time getting through it. If I drink it cold, it's a very refreshing drink, and I really feel the bouquet of the various types of produce that are in there. It's a very different experience. So that's the cold-pressed experience. Well, so what kind of presses do you guys use? Well, we're using, we use the Good Nature X1s and the X6. We've experimented with a lot of other people's versions of that. They're just not robust enough. They don't hold up to the battering that we give them. Seven days a week, pressing six to eight hours Every day, these machines will take a beating because also the acids that are in fruit destroy the machine. So there's nothing working in your favor. So if you actually watch production, it's just mind-blowing. We've built a bunker around these machines of stainless steel and materials that have to hold up from what types of naturally occurring acids that are in the produce to handle that corrosive nature that they have on a surface, not in your chemistry, obviously. Yeah, yeah. So those are the types of machines we're using, and, 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 and still very small scale, you know. Well, that's the thing I've wondered about, too, as you guys have scaled, is that <laughs> was there ever an issue finding that much organic produce? Because, like, how much produce it takes to condense that down into a 12-ounce juice or whatever. I mean, that's like bushels of greens. It's a like, huge problem. It's a huge problem. The dollar amount we spend on salaries for professional buyers would shock people. Additionally, we hold a USDA certification, which there's no funny business with that. There's an independent company that audits us, and it's a pain in the ass to have companies, they look through every single purchase, every document. They inspect your facilities. They cite you if you're using a chemical to clean dishware that you didn't put on the list, or if it's not USDA organic. They write up a report. They make you make corrections. But most importantly is they're making sure that if you have the USDA logo on your bottle, every single ingredient is USDA organic and there's a clear path to the vendor. It's all traceable. It's all traceable. The USDA organic certification, not only does it guarantee the quality of the produce, but it also indicates the quality of the manufacturing 
process. I didn't know that. It's a That's a very big thing. It's a very, very high standard. So even in your commercial kitchen and stuff, you have to adhere to all of the rules to keep that certification intact. It's, it's not just it's like very, the farmer is growing organic produce. Right. Like it's, it's, a very tight, it's a very tight bundle of what goes into having a kitchen. You first have safety and you have USDA and you have FDA and you have all kinds of things that govern what you're allowed to do with raw juice or just juice in general. And you have to have SSOPs, GMPs, standard safety operation uh, procedures, SSOP, safety standard operating procedure, HACCP plans, which are hazard and control checkpoint plans, guidelines that are written out by the FDA. Those are your standards. Then the state of New York in our facility inspects us annually. And so we're under state department of agriculture. They come in and they just looking at safety standards and it's a very complex process. And we're in a fire drill seven days a week, 365 days a year, waiting for a surprise visit to come in and look at what we're doing. And they're paid to, no matter what, find a mistake. They can't just come in and go, wow, you guys are an A+. They always love to say, I saw a guy on his lunch break and he was still wearing rubber gloves. Okay, so that's the game, right? So we have in the facility people that just focus in on safety, health standards, Everything that we do has a standard operating procedure, how we open a door, how we close a door, how someone wears a face mask, what time they clock in, how a machine is used, how a blade is sharpened. It's very, very complicated in that regard. When you have one store, two stores, three stores, no one's looking, and the small business operator could never hold that standard. He'd be bankrupt. In the facility that we have, it's really actually a very enjoyable part of my process is playing this game that we have to play to be in this level of industry is just really learning the mastery of production and how to create these standards that you as a consumer cannot actually create at home. You cannot wash your produce as well as I can, and you cannot hold a standard in your own kitchen the way I hold in my kitchen. You're washing your produce in rust and sediment most of the time coming out of your tap. We're filtering our produce water. Oh, you do? Absolutely. Oh, you're dope, man. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, bro. So, so... I'm a huge water like fanatic. And we're dude. Like, cul- we're very culling, picky about that. We're shit. culling means we're picking the premium produce. It's part of the whole procedure of what we're doing as a safety measures. We only buy grade A produce, number one, whatever that type of produce is, and it is a extremely difficult task to keep organic. Probably have about three hundred ingredients in total with the food we're making and everything. That has to be purchased seven days a week from probably two hundred and fifty vendors. It's very, very difficult part of the business. And is that produce coming from all over the country to get to you guys? Well, obviously, New York is not producing coconut and it's yeah. not producing yeah, camel yeah, yeah. So there is obviously seasonal and it's going to be on best practice. There could be, like, for example, I was buying produce in New Jersey and I was buying from a small farm and we made a deal to buy everything that they were producing and his standard just could not meet our standard. And unfortunately, we just had to go back to a bigger farm in a further away distant city to get the standard that we wanted. So in the wintertime, you're yielding nothing in New York. So cucumbers are coming from California, from Mexico. You're doing a lot to get that product on the shelf. And really what the concept here is, this is the medicine people need. They need this medicine. People in the city of New York and around the globe need to be consuming coconut. Unfortunately, it's not like the old days. It's debatable. I get into these conversations about local sourced or the Ayurvedic diet or macrobiotic, seasonal. Those are older concepts that apply for a healthier chemistry. In today's 
Western body, you can't afford to do that. If you went with local, you would actually not be doing so well and you'd be forced back into a high-protein diet with a lot of very dense grains and you'd putting a lot of burden on your digestive system and you wouldn't be maximizing your calorie to energy output. Well, that's the thing, dude. We don't live in a natural world. I mean, I have a device over there that's $7,500 that you know, it's like a natural healing device. That shit wouldn't be necessary, you know, a few hundred years ago. But when I'm living in New York City for the time being with all these EMFs and smog and all this shit, like I have to do things that are unnatural, just like drinking a green juice that has four pounds of fucking vegetables in it is technically unnatural. But you have to sort of, to me, overcompensate to just be at base level, you know? So I'm with you. Like, I Well, don't... we could, you know what, to amplify the message, we should put a lot of scientific terminology behind that so that it's not abstract. I don't know what your listeners are in the terms of how many doctors are listening to this, yeah. but two days ago, I was listening to a Sirius Satellite doctor show and they were talking about post-nasal drip. And I was listening to it just by accident. I was thumbing through. I wanted to listen to a news program and I couldn't believe how they were saying nothing for 20 minutes. They were going back and forth and talking about medication and making it hopeless. One person said, yeah, you know, it's very important that your diet and your lifestyle help to mitigate that problem. But they didn't really expand on that. And then they went back to medication and surgery. So technical, beautiful guys. It's amazing when someone can be so incredibly knowledgeable of the anatomy of the body and dazzle the layman because it sounds so technical. But if you're listening to it with an acute ear, they're saying nothing. They're saying nothing. They don't actually want to integrate the science into anything that can help anyone. It's just surgery and drugs and bad advice. And it's so easy if they just remove the covers and integrate a few other aspects of science, even if it's abstract, right? I'm not telling someone to go home and put crystals on their throat. I can understand why the scientific community would laugh me out of the room. There's very distinct ways to fix that problem that will help mostly all people. There are always exceptions because the body can only heal naturally if that particular body's natural pathway to recovery is open to a natural healing. There are people that need drugs and surgery, but some of these things are so obvious and they don't say it. It's so frustrating. It's like watching a porno and there's no come at the end of the thing. That's what it's like. No one's actually getting to the end. <laughs> the first time that metaphor has been... Uh, yes. I, so I called this. <laughs> I, I, I called in on the fucking show because there's probably no listeners. Are you serious? And the pre-screener gets on the phone and I was very passionate. I said, put me on the fucking phone with these doctors and let me just rant and rave. And I said, I'm the fucking founder of Juice Press. Oh, I know your company. Said, I said, put me on the phone. Well, it's not really appropriate for the show. Appropriate for what? For teaching somebody something? For saying something intelligent? Put me on. Let them debunk me and call me a quack. I'll say five things in there that they're just missing out on, which is the root cause of the problem for 99% of the people and the hard truth of what you need to do to feel better. And it's not necessarily what you want to hear because you want a silver bullet or a magic pill or a $7,500 machine. That's what people want. But that's actually not the answer. All due respect, I love you. Please have me back on your show. <laughs> The answer lies... Well, the funny thing is, I do all of it. You, you know? do all of it. Yeah, you yeah, do all yeah. of it. But, just, but yeah. let's give me a chance, man to man, same age, right? Yeah. Everything's the same. Give me a chance to say something of value here to the listener. If one out of 800,000 people go, guys, on the money changed my life. What we need to talk about is how to avoid growing cancer in your body. That's the only subject 
everybody's in free fall right now in a skydive and they have no parachute. And they're all staring going, la, 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 Instagram this, blah, 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 cold press juice. That's not the problem. The problem is the ground is coming at you 120 miles an hour and you need to get something out over your head to slow down the impact. So the focus of health in this day and age, 2017, is cancer is knocking on your door. It lives in your body no matter what you want to do and it's patiently waiting to proliferate and you grow it. And if you read 10 of the most epic scientific books on cancer, they don't like me and they don't like quackology. They don't talk about astrology. It's just fucking science. Every one of those books says hereditary and family of origin only plays a 5 to 10% role in the development of cancer. Whoa, Eureka, because the last 30 years, everybody was walking around saying, well, my dad had cancer, so I'm doomed. And that's how people looked at it. It's not. Your lifestyle and your diet and the environment play 90 to 95% reason of cancer. And if you care about that and you don't want to suffer and die, you got to pay attention. Okay, I'm dropping the mic. <laughs> <laughs> dude, that's good stuff. I just man. want, I, I want, it, I, it, this I is love a, it, man. This I is love a practice, your passion, This dude. is a practice run for me, right? Because one day when I look normal and I have more credibility, I'm going to be sitting on panels with doctors. I've spent a lot of time, what I do to get science is I call an endocrinologist, an oncologist, a gynecologist, a dentist, I don't care, and I just pick their brain. What do you know? I have conversations, I read the books, I go back to, you know, astrology could work. You want to read your charts to figure out how to avoid cancer? Okay, good. If that's like 5% of your plan and you do the other things right, that's great. You want to put crystals on your head and go singing bowls and meditation and ayahuasca? Great. Not criticizing at all. That's not going to fix the problem. You just described half the people I interviewed this week. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, this, we're covering it all. It's great. We need your listener to understand the five do's and the five don'ts. And I'll make them up right over here. Okay. When you're ready, maybe let's bring Teresa back in. I'll sit here sure. and meditate like a monk sure. and shut my mouth for a minute. All right. Hold on to the five okay, do's and got the five it. don'ts. I have to make them up in my head first. Because I have more questions for you, too. I'm but, ready. But I'm not getting gonna, interested. But I'm not going to let Teresa sit here uh, un- no, undetected. No, I, I love listening to him talk. That's so, why I love That's doing. why we're getting married, because she's the only person that I'm the that only person listen that listens. listens. We all need someone. I'm trying to find that, too. Maybe if enough people listen to my podcast, there'll be that one person that's like, the podcast is not enough. I want to hear you more. Part of my mission at the Lifestylist Podcast is to support innovation and companies that are really helping to encourage people to be healthy. And Health IQ is one such company. They're a life insurance agency that gets exclusive discounts based on your lifestyle and your level of health. So if you're someone that works out, does yoga, you're a cyclist, you're paleo, you're vegetarian, you lift weights, you're a biohacker, you can actually save money on your life insurance. It's a really dope new way to do things. And that's why I want to tell you about it. So if you want to talk to an agent to see if you qualify, you can go to healthiq.com forward slash lifestylist, or just get in touch with Health IQ. Use the promo code lifestylist and they are going to hook you up. 56% of Health IQ customers save between four and 33% on their life insurance just for being healthy and proving that they are. So it's definitely worth checking out. All your hard work as a biohacker can now pay off in the form of deep discounts on your life insurance at healthiq.com forward slash lifestylist. So Teresa, I'm fascinated by you because you, like myself, you know, I call it escaped, but whatever, you know, you're working on at least moving on from this industry. Did you find, because you've been into this 
you know, natural healing and living a healthy lifestyle, which many people in fashion, especially years ago, were not. Did you find that you were kind of an outcast there? Like you're a raw vegan and doing this while the other models are drinking Diet Cokes and smoking cigarettes and doing blow? I mean, I started the raw food diet because I always struggled with a good relationship with food. I mean, being a model, as you know, always starving ourselves and doing things that are just not healthy. So when I discovered the raw food diet and I started reading the books about it, it just made sense to me to live this lifestyle. I didn't have to abuse my body and I could eat and have the power of the plants that nourish my body and I'm not starving myself. So that's how I got onto it. And I never turned back. How long has that been? I started when I was 20 and I'm 36 now. So I've been pretty much, I was a hardcore raw vegan for eight years from 20 until I got pregnant with my first child Not during my pregnancy. I gathered that. <laughs> during my pregnancy, I so felt... So you guys are going to have, what are they called, a melded family? We, we, we have a nice kids. blended family, yeah. That's we have a big cool. blended family. Two white kids. Blended. <laughs> two white kids and two black kids. That's great. Right. <laughs> People stare at Yeah, that's good. So during my pregnancy, my midwife, she was kind of concerned about me being a raw vegan during pregnancy because she had no idea about this diet and was just concerned. And the father of my child at the time was also very concerned. So I fell off a little bit and I started eating some grains and fish and like God knows how long I threw it in there just because that's what they tell you to do as doctors. And I didn't have a doctor, I had a midwife, but you know, she didn't know any better. So I went along with it. But when my daughter was born... I went straight back to Juice Press. That's when, when my daughter was born, it's actually when Juice Press opened. So I would go just like you. I lived in the financial district at the time when I would travel all the way to East First Street to get my raw juices and I bounced right back and I just stuck with it. And with my son, I didn't listen to what anyone had to say. I was all raw and he was super healthy. He came out really fast. He was born at home in the water at a 20 minute birth. Whoa, very, very easy. I just I interviewed it. a doctor, uh, Robin Bearson, a couple of days ago, and she's a functional medicine doctor. Mm-hmm. She owns a company called uh, Parsley Health. And I actually did a whole episode just about the Western hospital birth versus doing it at home and all this stuff. It's very fascinating. It's something we had never talked about. So you went like full on doula, I went, midwife. No, I didn't have a doula. I didn't want anyone. I actually only had my midwife for 20 minutes. I did what everything myself. <laughs> Holy shit. I pulled the baby out myself too. What? I had, I had the midwife. She was there guiding me, but I ended up doing it myself with feeling the baby's head and then pulling him out you are a beast <laughs> she could kick both of her asses just based on that dude i have no idea <laughs> i know amazing. i mean everyone when i told them i wanted to have a home birth they're like you're crazy what if something happens and i just went back to the original way of giving birth i mean my grandmother gave birth at home to nine children and it's just a natural way as women were meant to give birth naturally and the wilderness back in the days ancient times they would go into nature by themselves. They didn't have their husbands there or anyone around. They would just do it by themselves. And I felt, because I have a comparison between my first birth and both of them were natural with my hands, but the second one was just at home without anyone really there. And there's something to say about when you're by yourself and you're just connecting with the baby and really just your breath. I was actually in labor during a yoga class when I was in labor and I walked back home in labor and the movement and just being by yourself. It helped me a lot 
without so when plasma. you were when you were pregnant and they were did they run labs on you and stuff like that were you well, i mean was I there had, any issues with like being uh deficient in b see, vitamins that's what that's what everyone was always threes and like no all that kind of stuff? i didn't i didn't have that at all everyone was concerned about that yes obviously they took my blood to test these things and my midwife was always blown away that my iron level was always high because i eat a lot of greens i never had any deficiencies the baby was growing fine and I was all raw. I didn't eat any cooked foods throughout that pregnancy, and he ended up being an eight-pound baby. And the birth was easy, That's you know. Crazy. And I really credit it. I credit it to the diet and just being active. I was super active during my pregnancy. Oh, that's incredible. And so what was your path then in terms of getting out of the fashion industry or modeling? Are you still doing that? Like what's I'm still doing it, but I'm I'm choosing what I do and now mainly what I do is with my children, you know, and I've been doing it for twenty three years. I feel like I've gotten everything that I could possibly get out of the business. And as you know, you're a stylist, even though you're in Hollywood, the business is not the same as what it used to be. And I just want to just be healthy and go after the things that I love. I feel like the job that I had for 23 years, it took away from all my passions and the things that I always wanted to pursue. I always was into health. I was always into yoga, something I always wanted to dedicate myself to, but I didn't have the time. And when I had my children, I was slowly able to dedicate myself to my children, but also pull away from the industry and focus on the things that I truly wanted to do. For all those years so now i'm really focused on my yoga practice every day and we live a very clean lifestyle we don't have a i, I don't fall off so yeah. <laughs> that's cool it's, it's helpful when you're with someone that i think is it's on the same so path helpful to, yeah. oh my god i mean we both know because we've been i mean not to talk bad about our past relationships but it does make a difference when you're with someone that's on the same path because you're you're just living the same lifestyle. You wake up in the morning, you have the same breakfast. You're not tempted to have what the other person is having. If they're having bagels and God knows what, waffles, whatever they're having bagels in the morning. Cream yeah, <laughs> <laughs> whatever all that stuff is that people eat, yeah. you know. Sometimes, even if you're on a clean path, you get tempted to yeah. try we, it. We, we actually yeah. have, our love story is, I think we are really strange people. I think one of the things that was a catalyst for us falling in love with each other was, eating a salad in a park, having someone to drink a juice with and just sharing a juice and going, mmm, and then <laughs> we're drinking juice. And like that was such a great experience that we can share that. And yeah. I never really gave that merit that that was important to me. Yeah. Um, but I always felt like an outsider with my diet. And I've always felt like an outsider. And it's, that. it's an always, important thing. Yeah. It's an yeah. important thing. You don't want to be in a relationship where you feel like you're judging someone, or right. And also, they feel like you're boring too, because they're like, okay, we can't go anywhere to right. eat because you're so strict with your diet. And I mean, I've had it in my past where I've been judged and criticized, like you're not living your life. This diet that you're on is just for me. It's not even a diet. It's just a lifestyle. You know, food, it's just food is not an important part of how we relate to each other. We yeah. enjoy sitting down and having a salad. But if her schedules are off, she'll eat her salad at the time she wants to stop eating for the day. I'll drink my smoothie. If we meet up, it's great. We're not sitting and having three-hour conversations over heavy foods at 11 o'clock at night and, and <laughs> yeah. picking out wines. And that's important to We've a lot of people. We've probably only yeah. gone to four restaurants like in our really? 18 that's months funny. of being together. Especially yeah. in New York. You know, <laughs> like, the culture we don't here, eat out like that. Yeah, the culture here is largely based on like nightlife. And I've nightlife always, and going I've out. I've always had yeah. this sort of theory, and I don't know how true it is, but... Most flats are like so small here that you really can't go over to someone's house and hang out. So everyone's like forced out into the streets to, you know, to get that sense of community. You have to go to bars and restaurants like this place is like one bedroom, but 
if you had someone over, you have to like sit next to each other on the couch. Hey, what's that? You know, it's just awkward. <laughs> Welcome to so New York. In LA, like everyone has, has a house. at least one bedroom, if not two bedroom apartment or a house, you know? So it's like, I don't know. I feel like the eating culture and the drinking and all that is not as much of a thing. So that's an interesting distinction that you kind of, you're really off the beaten path here if you're not part of that. So yeah, cool. So I want to geek out on a little bit more of the juice process because I'm just one of those people I'm fascinated. Because you're opening a juice bar? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to beat you to LA. No, God, no. Uh, I could never have a job. No, it's that I really am a curious person about the way things work. And so when it comes to getting the produce, I've heard some things about organic produce and it sounds like you're sourcing like the best of the best, but you'll hear things on the internet about how organic is obviously better because it's not sprayed with pesticides, but that they'll use like this sludge that they use as fertilizer and that just because it's organic means there's no pesticides, but like the water and the fertilizer and all that stuff that gets up into the plants is also not so great. Is there a hierarchy of like how organic produce is grown in Absolutely. terms of well, the soil and the nutrients that they're given and the water? Um, Bio sludge. I think that's right. the stuff I'm, I'm thinking about that's often used as fertilizer. The best way to grow produce is in your own backyard and you're getting spring water and you're carrying buckets and you're pouring it in. You're not even irrigating. <laughs> right, right. And then you're making fresh salads or if you're doing juice, you're pulling carrots out of the ground and you're putting them into your hand-cranked juice machine and you're drinking the juice over a prayer. Right, right. I'd have one customer right. be myself. Yeah. I think, again, we can focus on the wrong things. Chemtrails, is it true? Is it not true? It's, I've seen it. It's not true. I don't know. Why? I can lose my mind concentrating that and just yeah. live in I the have. plastic <laughs> bubble with white gloves on and I don't touch anything. I have less my mind on that one. Like Ray Liotta and Goodfellas, right. like driving around like, fuck it. Your, your body is a miraculous healing machine and it's very durable. Yeah. And it's not one particular thing that's actually taking you down. It's an aggregate of things that are put together that are causing your malady. So when you're talking about organic produce, there's controversy still in organic produce. Where the controversy ends is whoever is against organic produce, if I have dinner and they come over and I serve, hey, there's a plate of sprayed lettuce and here's a plate of unsprayed lettuce. Which one would you like? I would find it hard to believe that he would go, oh, let me get the sprayed stuff. So it's really just a question of what feels better for you and what you would choose to have. Over the years of your life, when you're consuming these chemicals, and there's a lot of them, there's an epic amount of them in your bottled wine. There's unbelievable amount of chemicals in your carpet, in your dry cleaning. It's just everywhere. So now here you are, you have a weakened immune system for whatever reason, and you're consuming salad on a daily basis and juice on a daily basis. And the produce wasn't washed properly, so the pesticides aren't washed off. And God knows how that will affect your chemistry. Why do we have to have that in our food supply? It's not for the benefit of you, the consumer. It's for the benefit of the grower, right? Better yield of his crops because bugs didn't consume his crops. It's not something that we figured out is healthier for you. And all these things, there are other considerations that often drop from the debate is what are these chemicals doing to your environment? You're shitting where you eat with pesticides. So you can't be perfect. You got to pick your battles. Yeah. I choose to have organic produce. I want to take out the X factor. Is it bad? Is it good? I don't care. I just don't want it. Period. So that's my choice. I'm not intelligent enough to go into fighting with someone over organic or not organic. I just look at them and go, tell you what, there's plenty of 
conventional produce. You eat that. I'll go over here to the organic produce. It is more expensive, but not by a significant amount. That's the thing. What's more expensive for people in my area of food is calories. People get more calories for cheap when they're eating processed food. And that's what they're used to. They're used to a particular type of feeling they get from those calories. Most of the foods that people eat are extraordinarily stimulating to their chemistry. They eat them and they feel like they can kick out of a barn like a horse that's overfed oats. People like that stimulation. They don't pay attention to the crash at the end of that jack because they're not sensitive enough to really understand the science of why they go up and down, up and down all day long. But our type of food is boring for most people. There is no explosion in your mouth unless you're having a great salad dressing or unless you've conditioned yourself to have passionate sex with your salad. For most people, the foods that we're talking about, they're just really mild, everyday, unsuperhero foods. You eat an apple for 100 calories, it's great, it feels great, but it's not an explosion. I mean, Red Bull makes people crazy. They can climb a building, they can stay (laughs) up 17 hours, they can answer 800 text messages in three hours. That's what people are looking for. And all those foods are like borrowing money from a loan shark. Saved your ass or whatever, but there's a terrible payback for that. So... The plant kingdom is where you need to focus your energy. If it doesn't come from the plants, it's not meant to be in the body. There's not a single vitamin or mineral or compound that exists in the flesh of any type of animal that's required for any type of chemistry. I stand behind that statement. I've heard debates, well, you need K2 and you can't get it unless you eat meat. That's nonsense. It's utter nonsense. If it's not in the plant kingdom, your body does not need it. Well, I'm deficient in iron, my doctor said. Okay, it's possible. Spinach, kale. (laughs) But it's also possible that you're not getting a broad-spectrum diet. You're too focused on specific favorite foods. But really, if you want to get to the root cause of any problem, you have to study it carefully. And if you look closely at that person's diet, there's always a handful of mistakes that that person is making that's preventing their body from functioning at an optimal level, which is the root cause of their deficiencies. You don't treat deficiencies with adding more stuff. This is important. You treat the deficiencies by taking away the wrong stuff. That's where the chemistry changes. It's what you leave out of your diet that allows your body to do what it's naturally designed to do, which is heal every day. Drop the mic. When I was a vegetarian, I had a, and maybe you both can speak to this, I had a very difficult time in that And it was a matter of convenience, too, because it was a while ago, so it was like less prevalent and less available. But the issue I had was most vegan and vegetarian food was made with beans, corn, I don't eat none of that. We don't eat none of that stuff. And all of those things were incredibly inflammatory to me, and I had a lot of digestive problems as a result of eating those foods. But... I also had a really hard time just feeling satiated and full without going to one of those grains or legumes or something like that to like get that feeling of like, ah, I ate something, like I'm full, I have energy. Like I had a really hard time over after 10 you years of you like... Didn't, you didn't have the right guidance. That's really what it comes to. I was like, like fucking if hungry I, if all I, the time. If I dropped you in advanced yoga with just a book and no teacher, you'd be doing everything wrong for a long time. And then when we came to you 10 years later, you're... Asana practice would not necessarily be that great just because you had a book. You need a guide, someone to help explain to you. Also, you have to use the correct language. You didn't have a lot of digestive problems. You probably had one critical digestive problem. And you didn't 
go through the necessary detox for a dramatic transformation, which is you went from processed food, likely a high-protein diet for most of your life, to a cleaner diet with less protein, there's an enormous change in your chemistry. And you have to have someone telling you, oh, by the way, in your second year, you're going to feel like shit. And here's why. And the cravings come back as you detox. It's like someone who stops doing heroin, they crave heroin because that's what's actually in their chemistry. And as it begins to remove itself from the chemistry, the body craves what the body is used to having. So that's what pregnancy is, essentially. Why do women crave bizarre foods out of nowhere, foods they loved 10 years ago when they're pregnant? Because the body, when a woman is pregnant, is trying to make the Garden of Eden for the baby. So what it goes through an incredible detoxification process, which elicits an amazing sense of craving for junk food most of the time. It's not, oh, I'm pregnant, I just need a hamburger. No, they're feeling this craving for protein, dense food matter, blood, literally. So in the process of becoming a vegetarian, we'll leave out the spiritual aspect of that for a different discussion, although that is an important category to talk about. We'll just focus in on the chemistry of it. At your age, what you probably want is you don't want to feel pain and you want to get laid for the next 50 years. <laughs> pretty, pretty. And you don't want to be on medication. Accurate assumption. And you want to age slowly. And you want to be physical. You want to be able to do push-ups, run up and down the stairs, and you want to have razor-sharp memory. There's no guarantee you're going to have that, but I can guarantee you this. If you eat the wrong diet, you're certainly making the fight much harder for yourself. The question for you at this stage of your life is how much protein do you actually think you need on a daily basis to be healthy, not to be stimulated? The second thing is, what are you willing to give up to have razor-sharp memory and gardening at 87? What are you willing to give up at 48? If I said you can't sit around eating for three hours and you have to stop eating at 10 o'clock at night, 8 o'clock at night, you got to eat earlier in the day, that's really just your own personal disciplines. What are you prepared to do? So the vegetarian diet is relatively easy because you can still do dairy, so you can get that added stimulation, although... Dairy, in my opinion, is worse than animal protein. It's a secretion of an animal that's incompatible with what your chemistry is looking for, and it's extraordinarily inflammatory, especially from it's a much larger animal, like a cow. You can go in that forever, and it's not hocus-pocus. You go to a doctor and you have inflammatory issues or you're highly mucosal, the doctor will write on a piece of paper, take this drug and stay away from dairy for two weeks. How come you didn't tear up that piece of paper and just say, stay away from dairy forever and take the drug too because I got to get paid? And then after you clear up, he just says, you know what, if you want to stay away from me for a very long time, don't eat dairy. Going into the vegan state is obviously the next level. It's like black belt and it's harder and you have to be highly motivated for that diet. Somebody who has diabetes benefits from a vegan diet immediately. God forbid if you have a variety of cancer, you benefit from cleaning up your diet and being vegan. More so than any other change you can make is eliminating processed food. That should be the first tenant of your diet. We said five and five, right? Five good things, five yeah, bad yeah, things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There we go. Perfect. All right. That's good. See, he's bringing it back around. That's great. Eliminate processed food. That's the first thing that should be in every book on nutrition. Page one. Hello, I'm a genius. That's what the guy has to tell you, why you bought his book. Page two is eliminate processed food and you're 85% of the way That's home. the mistake vegetarians do though. They eat a lot of processed foods. Yeah. When they're switching over, they think tempeh and tofu and all this stuff is you know, supplementing whatever they had before. But supplementing protein. Yeah, but it's, yeah. it's really processed and it's actually worse. And yeah. it's convincingly yeah. fake meat. So your body reacts to it. Your brain goes, oh, he's eating meat. Here's some more digestive acids for meat. So you become more acidic. 
and you're spilling things into your system that you don't need to eat there just to eat bean curd so that you can have more quote-unquote protein. And protein is a problem in your diet, not a solution. Tenet number one, eliminate how much protein you're eating. You don't need that much protein unless you're a linebacker and you're trying to gain 300 pounds. Even he doesn't need that much protein. He just needs a lot of calories. So protein is a very big problem in the causation of cancer. It's not a solution. Most books that talk about how to heal from cancer, even the very holistic books, they're 180 degrees wrong when they talk about protein. It's a problem. Protein is a needed compound for a cell to be stimulated to grow, divide, multiply, whatever they need to do. You need protein. And you can't indiscriminately select in your body who gets protein. It's not rationed out. If you're feeding the muscle cell, you're feeding the cancer cell. So processed food, too much protein, those are problems. Eating late at night, overeating. And the fifth one is... What about sugar? Good question. I want to give you the fifth thing. Processed <laughs> food, processed food, too much pro- processed food, too much protein, eating late at night, not eating enough fruit. Not eating enough fruit. Fruit is vital to your survival. You are a carbohydrate burning machine as a human being. Your body is designed to consume and digest carbohydrates with ease. It's apparent in the fact that you have no claws, you don't have razor-sharp teeth and fangs, and your digestive tract is extremely long for extruding the maximum amount of nutrients from the foods you do eat. You're also not designed to sleep 23 hours a day, 22 hours a day, 20 hours a day like large cats do who have an only-meat diet. They spend a lot of time sleeping and digesting. And they age faster and they don't live that long. So the sugar question is my favorite question. Sugar is not created equally. The only sugar you need to be avoiding, no matter what, worst case scenario, you have stage four cancer and you're diabetic, the main sugar you need to be avoiding is processed sugar. It's basically rocket fuel. It's been processed to be extremely concentrated. It is isolated from its original nutrients. It's not a food. It's like cocaine, basically. Okay, like let's call it that. Similar kind of process, right. right? That type of sugar... And like white powdered stevia. Follow, <laughs> me, follow me. Follow me if you can. Don't... Yeah, yeah. Okay? That type of sugar is what spikes your blood sugar levels, which is what creates insulin resistance. And that type of sugar is what tells the body to produce two hormones, IGF-1 and IGF-2. Those are the two hormones that are completely responsible for a cell dividing and multiplying. That is your nightmare right there, is to create that hormone when it's not necessary. Because if you have cancer, you're growing cancer. Now, the problem with that sugar in your bloodstream is that cancer cells, because they're mutated cells, they actually have more insulin receptors. The insulin receptors are required for the cell to uptake sugar into the cell for energy. And because the cancer cell has more receptors, it does a much better job of removing the cancer from the chemistry and having energy to do all the functions it needs to do. Take over, basically. Conquer. It'll do much better than a healthy cell, like a white blood cell that's trying to fight off cancer. So that's the type of sugar you need to be avoiding. Now, here's where people get confused. People usually end the story and they hear, sugar's bad, and then they go into a deficit. Here's where the story changes. You need fruit because of the vitamins it contains and the antioxidants, and the flavonoids, and the phytochemicals. Those are all anti-cancer fighting compounds. Without them, you're surely going to perish. There's no real source for them. You can't just be popping vitamins all the time saying, I'm on a low-sugar diet. You need to eat those foods. That's actually what you're designed to do. Additionally, 
the sugars that are in those fruits are the easiest source of energy that require little energy to turn into glucose, which is the only thing the cell can actually use for energy. You're turning everything into glucose anyway. If you starve your body of those natural sugars, you're giving cancer an unfair advantage because whatever sugar you are actually creating, the cancer cell is going to take and rob the healthy cell. Now, if you have a processed food diet and you're eating too much protein and you have hereditary predisposition for cancer and you're exposed to environmental toxins, you're more than likely done. Just a matter of time before you grow the cancer, get the cancer. It's different for everyone. Some people get skin cancer. Some people get blood cancer or a specific organ or other areas and tissue that they go to, cancer. But then you have to continue to grow it and say, hey, I got cancer. Let me feed it. It's like having a farm and sowing the seeds. So what is a person to do? They're terrified now. I scared everybody in the audience. You have to ask me, what do I do? What do I do? Okay. I'm glad you asked. The first thing is eliminate processed food. The second thing is you want to have a low inflammation diet because inflammation is the precursor to mostly all illnesses. Healthy cells cannot function properly when they're inflamed. There are foods that cause an inflammatory response because they're irritating to the system. Processed food, it's fake, it's weird. The body doesn't know what to do with it. It's an inflammatory dairy food, even animal protein. Animal protein of any type is hard on the kidneys and there's evidence that it's also hard on the liver. That makes your body have to work harder. When a person is sick, they want to work less in their chemistry. They want to concentrate on healing. That's what the body actually does. So you've eliminated processed food. You reduced your amount of protein. Now, what's the next step? The next step is to not eat late at night. Late at night, your body is not as good as a digester as it is during the daytime. That's complicated. That's another subject, the circadian rhythm that you follow. But you need more time to digest. If you stop eating solid food by, say, 5 or 6 p.m., and then at nighttime you only drank liquids, your body would have more control over your entire chemistry cleaning up the mess that you make prior to your cutoff time. That's a very important thing. You eat late at night, 10 o'clock, 9 o'clock, you're not digesting properly, which means you're creating off gases, which is a kind of a controversial subject. But when you eat late at night and you are not digesting food properly, you're fermenting. And fermentation is what causes the inflammation. The next thing you want to do is you want to eat lots of fruits and vegetables and greens. And the juices are awesome because they're an antidote to the mistakes that you make. And in my opinion, to the environmental factors. Additionally, the juices require no digestion. It's a bullseye, direct hit into your chemistry of those important nutrients, whether it's carbohydrates, fats, and protein in low amounts. There's also trace amounts of fiber in the saccharides. So you're not necessarily missing out the way people think you are. It's not a spiker of your blood sugar levels. Even if you're a diabetic, I watch this stuff all the time. I sit and watch diabetics take their tests of their blood. The blood sugar does raise, of course, but they're not spilling blood and dumping or spiking and their blood sugar levels come down very rapidly, especially if that diabetic is on a clean diet. It's unbelievable. So you're saying if you drink a green juice that's got 25 grams of sugar from apples, that it doesn't spike your blood sugar? No. What does the word spike mean? It's the same word that you said I had a lot of digestive. Like on the the glycemic index. Your body is designed to have raises in your blood sugar levels. That's not the problem in the diet. 
I'll take a type 1 diabetic and put them on a vegan diet and let them drink carrot juice. Watch what happens to their chemistry in two days. It's unbelievable how their blood sugar levels come down. Five days, six days in, their blood sugar levels look normal. If they do it for two weeks, they have to go back to the doctor and ask permission if they can reduce the amount of insulin they're taking. It happens every single time because they eliminated processed food and animal protein. That doesn't mean you should sit down now and eat 50 bananas and then go to sleep. (laughs) No one's saying that you should bend the laws of chemistry and science. 25 grams of naturally occurring sugar in fruit is not your problem. It's your solution. Your body will do many things that are integrative from that sugar. One of them is you won't be hungry. If you eat an apple before you go to dinner, you'll eat less. There's already studies that prove that. What's happening? Is it the apple? Is it the calorie? No. There's something in that food other than the grams of this and the weight of that and the protein of that and all the measurements people take. There's something in that food that God put in that food to signal your brain and say, thank you, Lordy, I am fucking full. And that does not occur in man-made processed shit. That food is designed to say, no thanks, man, I'm still hungry. Give me more. You cannot sit down and eat a plate of mama's pasta with meatball and not have 11 servings because there's nothing in there to say, stop eating. It's actually all designed to say, keep eating, eat more, eat more, eat more, eat more. You're hungry 20 minutes later. Where's my ice cream? Where's my dessert? Where's the cake? Where's the brandy? That's what that food is designed to do. It's unholy, un- God, I'm sounding crazy. <laughs> it's what I believe now. It's perfect. Hey it's all good, it's, I, I'm not a God guy. I don't believe in God. I believe in the creator. But it's true. That food is unholy. Why is it unholy? Because it actually breaks the laws of nature and it's killing us. As a world, it's been doing its job on society as a population control for decades. So I call it unholy. You don't know anybody. You don't know anybody that's in the hospital because they ate too many apples. Well, dude, it's like you can see how the uh, the American Western companies that produce this processed food, when they sort of invade another country, you can watch the decline in health. Like it's happening to Brazil. Everywhere. In India. It's a pandemic. Listen, we came, when we yeah. settled here, we gave the natives alcohol and we eviscerated them through alcohol. We lied to them and said, if you drink this, you'll conjure up the great spirits. We called it spirits and they believed us and they drank it and they had no toleration for it. You know what they gave us in return? This probably happened before, actually. I don't know my history well. They gave us tobacco and said, here, it's great. You'll enjoy it. They didn't (laughs) inhale it. They puffed it and they prayed over it. They gave it to us and they said, here, inhale it. It's great. And we were dying. It's like a a slow-acting revenge. That's just my abstract thinking. Yeah, I don't know that's, that's actually pretty true. sweet, actually. <laughs> but that's, that's, there's an exchange, right, that right. took place. Yeah, okay? yeah, yeah. It's the same thing with processed food. In the ancient times, the young generation dug into the earth and they found metal and they said, oh my God, we found metal, we could make a fork. And the elders said, I wouldn't do that if I were you. And the young people said, but why? And they said, I wouldn't do that if I were you. And then years later, that same young person figured out how to make an arrowhead. And their problems began. And now we have tanks. It's the same thing with processed food. Someone said, hey, why don't we just pasteurize the milk? I wouldn't do that if I were you. And then everybody's drinking milk now because we can defy the laws of physics and defy the laws of gravity and just put milk anywhere we want for how long we want. And it's the same thing with all the foods. What the food industry now is, it's so utterly ridiculous that if aliens landed on this planet and they were pristine, they would just look and say, they're doing what with what? It's crazy. The animals were put here to beautify this world. They were put here to teach us lessons. And we were put here to protect them. 
They're not our food. The plants are our food. And everything the flesh of an animal is made of is nothing more, nothing less than a plant. That's where it got its flesh from. When you eat an animal, you're eating a plant in a concentrated form. The problem is you're taking on the toxins in the animal's blood at the time of his death that you now have to remove. There's nothing spiritual about that. That's pure chemistry. We could go into the spirituality of it in another podcast where we could talk about how you're actually breaking the Dreamtime law by taking the life of that animal. And there's many stories about that. You must repay that debt. Drop the mic. Sorry. <laughs> he's quiet. He's, he's rethinking he's, being he's a vegan again. <laughs> he's dropped the mic four times. Well, it's heavy shit. You know, it this is, is no, it's, it's, a, it's a new message for me. I spoke about veganism for 10 years and never talked about spirituality. And I had an awakening one day. I was like, oh, holy shit. There's a whole side of this that I didn't look at for some reason. I just forgot. And I woke up one day and I went, whoa. And I hate that side because I didn't really want to be about that. But it's unavoidable. It's unavoidable. If you really actually spent time and you had a farm and you had companions, the animals, they're beautiful creatures. They're designed to teach you things. You don't need them to eat and to feed. You personally would never kill a lamb to have lamb chops or a baby calf or go to a slaughter farm, a slaughter factory, and listen to the screaming and wailing of cows and watch the brutality and the terror and the mistreatment of animals throughout the world. You personally would never participate in that. We're fishing our seas to emptiness. We're deforestation, all these problems. You personally would never do that. But what you would do is kind of be complicit as long as you're not actually seeing it because that's the self-centered nature of man. As long as you're not doing it and you're not really seeing it, as long as your needs are being met, we're not judging you, brother. I'm, I'm just talking, right? I don't care if you eat. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'd, you know, I'm not perfect, right? I walk down the plant on the earth. I kill bacteria every time I eat. I'm stepping on little wormies where I go. I'm not... Gandhi, I'm just talking, right? And we're trying to, together, we're trying to create more awareness. There's a purpose to it. I appreciate your perspective, dude. Right. I interview a lot of vegan people, right. paleo people. Like I've heard every fucking perspective right. on it. So, paleo diet's yeah, wrong. It's all good. Paleo diet's all wrong. And every paleo person would tell you a vegan diet's wrong. Well, because, you know? you know, put a paleo guy, that's the better show. Watch me fight a paleo. <laughs> that's a good idea, actually, dude. Put a paleo, put a fruitarian, put a pescatarian. It's all nonsense. There's no such thing as paleo diet because paleolithic man spanned hundreds of thousands of years over the entire globe. So which paleolithic man diet are you following? The guy from the Ice Age, the guy that lived in Antarctica, the guy that lived in tropical weather, and Paleolithic man could do well on a high-protein diet because he didn't make our other dietary mistakes. So it's an abstract, anecdotal experiment because he didn't eat processed food, he drank clean water, breathed fresh air, he prayed every day, he walked miles for his food, he had a different relationship with nature, his meat wasn't factory meat. So you could say, oh, look, he did well. It's not the case for today's paleo who's eating paleo chocolate. What the hell's paleo chocolate? When did paleolithic man have chocolate bars? <laughs> right? It's true. Well, there's a lot there's a lot of funny processed paleo food. Just yeah. like there is a lot of funny like yeah. fake fish, vegan but food. The, but mean, it's like, not all what that shit you're, is it's horrible. biological. You cannot argue. Sit down and talk to an endocrinologist. Fuck me, fuck the paleo guy. Talk to an endocrinologist. Ask him what this is designed to process. He's going to say it's not very efficient at turning protein from an animal into food, into protein. What's the best source? Just follow the trail of chemistry. Everything else is nonsense. Not only follow the trail of chemistry, follow history and understand how meat even got into our diet in the first place. That's what paleoists are missing. 
That doesn't mean you can't live in Antarctica and eat beautiful fish from pristine waters and live 85, 95 years. It just means you're not that guy. You're living in this shithole, breathing this shit air, drinking that shit water with your stress and your cell phone and your ideas and my ideas. I'm judging myself too. So you can't afford to make those mistakes because your fish probably didn't even come from the ocean. It came from a farm and it was fed corn. GMO corn too. Whatever, right? So it's not the same thing. Yeah, yeah. Look, the Paleolithic diet, why I actually believe in it is because accidentally one of the tenets of the Paleolithic diet is you eliminate refined food, refined starchy carbohydrates, which is processed food. So everyone's going to have an improvement just because of that alone. I'm in the paleo diet. Well, the guy got rid of potato chips and pasta, blah, blah, blah. Guess what? He has a dramatic improvement. So what does he blame it on? He's eating 70,000 grams of protein every day, blowing out his kidneys, acidifying his body, eating too much protein, and helping cancer go, wake up call. It's not the right path. I'm telling you. I'm just, it's just not the right path. It's just a buzzword. Vegan is a bad word too. I don't like vegan as a word. I say plant-based. That's a better word because that's more accurate. Vegan is actually a religion founded by a man. He didn't use bee honey or any animal products. Really? Yeah. Wow, I didn't Look know Look up that. the word vegan. It's not a religion. It's right, just a, right. the veganist term is cruelty-free. Dogmatic, right, right, right. I believe in bee honey harvested in a humane way. It's <laughs> part of good. a diet. That's good. It's I not honey. a animal food. It's a plant-based food. The cell of that is a plant. I want to ask you one thing Go about ahead. this. And that is just based on... Is this interesting anyway? Are we just oh, it's amazing. boring people? Here? No, dude, not at all. I feel like your tuner's just like turned off and went to the next one. No, no, no. No, this is dope. <laughs> this is dope. Okay. It's, it's a great perspective, dude, because I have people from like all different belief systems. Everyone honestly has a pretty compelling argument. The one thing though I'm curious about is, for me, I feel a lot better if I'm burning ketones for energy. Ah! I go <laughs> of like you do. cyclical ketosis. When I ate a lot of fruit and like the vegetarian diet, I was very like my energy fluctuated a lot. I get really tired, then I have to. You eat. probably didn't eat enough I was of it. Constantly enough like calories. having ketogenic to diet. Eat. The ketogenic diet is effective in the moment. If C- I- I'm talking about cyclical. It's a disaster. You're fucking with your chemistry. Unnecessary. You're playing games. You don't... I love you, man. You're you're a master at (laughs) this. You're a master at this. You're not a master at chemistry. I agree. All right. I'm a master at where I feel good. You know why you're a one percenter? Because you even know the word ketogenic. You know where you fail? You couldn't go any further than ketogenic as a word. You can't even talk about ATP. You don't understand what's going on in your chemistry when you play around with it with a ketogenic diet. It has no bearing on your health. It's not a sustainable diet. It's a game people play to cut weight or to burn fat for a minute so they can have six-pack abs. Well, it hasn't done that for me. <laughs> it's, not, it's, it's, it's not a path. It wasn't my goal. It's but not yeah. a path. It's a cheat. A cheat diet fails you in other ways. It's borrowing money from a loan shark, as I said before. It's just not a diet that you would give to a person who's sick. So why would I give it to a person who's healthy and say, okay, become sick? The ketogenic diet is, came from the gyms, not from the masters of nutrition. If you want to change your chemistry at this stage of your life, you have to go through a few trials and tribulations. One of them is do a three-day water fast with a spiritual healer. You'll reboot your entire immune system. The second thing is sit down with daddy, me, and let's put food on the table and we'll talk about food. I'll show you what food is. Once again, handle it, touch it. I'm sure you're a very wise man. Do you grow anything? I know you're sober, so you're not growing pot. Do you grow some produce? No. Let's sit down somewhere and just grow something so you can see the miracle of the plant and go, holy shit, this grows. We did that this summer. It was amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. 
So, I did it for a little while in a lazy city version. There was a company that would bring out these like hydroponic troughs of organic vegetables. You know, it was pretty dope actually. Right. But then you had to take care of it, and it was like after one little season, like. Wah, wah. <laughs> and actually, like you know, it's weird in LA. We have a lot of uh, fucking uh, raccoons and possums, and oh, they would yeah, come they would jack my vegetables. Right? I had them up on the roof right. of my garage. Oh yeah, raccoons. I remember that when I lived in California. Raccoons yeah, dude, and I foxes. Was, I was doing pretty good. So at one point, I set up this little trap where I had like a trip wire, and then a bucket would like hit him in the head, and I got rid of him. But anyway, I digress. I would just say that the struggles that you have are related to how willing you are to go deeper. If you were an explorer, and I gave you a ship, and we told you the Earth was flat and you were a lousy explorer, you would stop because you don't want to get to the edge of the earth because you're going to fall off because that's what you were told. The other lunatics who were the real hardcore explorers and probably drank too much rum and partied too much, they're like, yeah, we're going around. What? They went right to the edge and they went, wait a minute, we're back here again. And they came back and they said to the church, the earth is round. No, it's not as flat. He's a heretic. Burn him. They burned him. It's the same thing with your diet. If you want to understand what's going on, don't listen to me. Don't read a book. Don't listen to the jackass with the ketogenic diet or the high protein this, or the low protein, the high fat, blah, 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 the Atkins diet. Just do it on yourself and do it for a long time and then make notes and read and research and consume yourself. You'll come back with all the answers. It's just a fact. You have to do some of this by yourself and you need someone to talk about it to compare the answers and the results because a lot of times you can't trust your instincts because your instincts aren't the final word. If you trusted your instincts, you drink Red Bull every time you felt sleepy or a cup of coffee or you drank wine when you're, you know, want to feel a little buzz. Your instincts don't tell you enough at this stage. When you're 75 years old and you've done 20 water fasts and you've purified your body and you've done a lot of prayer and meditation and you've tried every type of diet, you'll actually be able to talk about it in a different way. You'll be able to say, I know for sure at this stage of my life, if I sit down right now and I eat a piece of meat in the morning when I wake up, my knees fucking hurt. My elbows don't feel good. I need more sleep. Right now, if you eat animal protein, you're going to be jacked. You're going to feel charged because that's what your body's looking for. It's looking for the nitrogenous gases in the animal flesh, whatever it is, to just go, woohoo, let's do this. But there's a price to pay and you're going to pay it. I'm not trying to scare you or make you hate me. <laughs> I don't. It's dude. just just watch the world around you. I'm very open minded. It's all there. You're talking to a guy who's a vegetarian for ten. I know, fucking and years. you're epic because you're so. You know why? Does I everybody was... know that you're that you're Bill Wilson guy? Well, I'm sober. Yeah, okay. I talk about it on the you're, show. You're you're a shaman. You know why I listen to you? You're dude? an alchemist because you've been a vegetarian more than ten years. If you had eight years in, I'm I'd be vegan. Like, don't fucking vegan. tell me no, about vegan. it. Even way more than every Someone twenty years. Ten years, <laughs> and then I, I'll listen. You know why I don't agree with that? We're living in the age of information. Yeah, it's very very different. I know vegans now that are accelerating with their knowledge and their experience. And like I said, for me, it's a very long journey. It took me years just to figure out that there was a compassion component. There's people that become vegans for compassion reason, and then the right. chemistry reason follows. It's not about that, really. It's like you saying, I don't talk to anyone who's not sober more than 20 years. I know people that are sober 20 years that do worse things than a drunkard would do. Yeah, yeah, so the time is not really the issue. I know. I'm just fucking Yeah, around. I know. I'm just you, you are. If you've accomplished what you've accomplished with 20 years of sobriety, you're an alchemist. You've turned shit into gold. Quite literally. And the major frontier of everything that you're doing right now is nutrition. If you don't have nutrition down, you can do all the yoga you want and go to all the meditation groups and have crystals everywhere and rabbis and ayahuasca and combo and San Pedro. It ain't going to do nothing for you. <laughs>
right? It's you just, know about combo. That's funny. I know because you're I, the only guy I know that you know knows what? about that. For I, for for seven years, <laughs> for seven years, one of my primary builders of juice press carries a medicine bag, and he's a shaman. And my head chef is a shaman. And the shamans all over the place hammering and banging nails, and and they're talking about this stuff. And I look at it very closely, and I really believe that there's something in there that's actually very healing. It's not necessarily for me and the path that I'm on, but when I listen to what they're actually doing and the plant medicines and the way they use them, they're not, for example, smoking a bong every 15 minutes, opening up that channel and not closing it. They're using the sacred plants in a sacred ceremony at sacred times and they have control over it and they're trying to experience something that's spiritual. They're not trying to get a buzz on so they can watch Pink Floyd movies and see <laughs> trippy shit. Yeah, yeah. So, so we're all shamans. I'm a plant medicine doctor because I'm serving plant medicine. I realize that. That's kind of an ironic thing. I don't put that on my bottles because I would lose my customers, right? They'd be like, what's this guy talking about? The shaman really all it means is a friend, in my opinion. It's someone who's your friend and someone who has some training in certain things to help you. If you have a broken heart over a breakup and your friend comes over and they put their hand on your heart and you listen to positive music and they tell you you're great, that's your shaman for the day. So you're a shaman, but you're using technology. You're on the radio waves, and you're trying to help people heal. You cannot truly heal people until you heal yourself completely, or like 80%. <laughs> awesome. That's what I'm working on. Awesome, dude. I think now you can actually, I'm going to make a mic drop. If you had, if you had, if you had, if you had callers, what would your call, your first call it be? Would they curse me or say, hey, no, no, dude. I'm, that fucking guy, how no. dare you talk about protein? Dude, my listeners and all that are from all walks of life, from all different lifestyles. And that's one of the main things that was my objective when I started the show. I don't want to like just talk to people that agree with me or agree with each other. Like I want every perspective, you know, one of my first guests was Rich Roll, who's like quite a adamant vegan athlete you know and he had his perspective and then next week there's gonna be someone talking today earlier we were talking about vipassana meditation retreats and then i last night was a vedic meditation teacher and then a kundalini teacher and then a this and then a that. See, that's and, why you're popular i'm not popular because i'm too dogmatic <laughs> uh, dude you know. it's, it's passion i respect that man i have my my shit i'm passionate about too you know my role is no longer i'm convinced my oh here this is great you do lifelines on your on your thing hey uh, hey freddie can you hear me fred <laughs> what happened here? There he goes. Fred? <laughs> we're, we're taking the first phone call ever on the Lifestylist podcast. Fred? He's making new rules. <laughs> Only in New York. Oh, he called me. I have to answer. Fred Bishi is my food guru. He's 89 years old. He's been 100%, That's the guy you were telling me 100% raw vegan for over 50 years. And he's always my lifeline. Fred? He just pocket dialed your ass, dude. He can't. You know, you know what? If I, could get, if I actually had the audio hookup, I would say, Freddie, do me a favor. <laughs> And I go, ketogenic diet. The guy would just go ballistic. Maybe I mean, I should, he will just break maybe it. I should have him on. You need sometime. him on your show, and you just need a, you go, You got it. Freddie, tell me why the raw food diet is the actual mountaintop. And then where can I be around that mountaintop to be close? Because I might not hit it in this lifetime. It's too hard of a diet. But it is actually the zenith of diet. It's just not for everyone. And it's actually dangerous for people that don't have the mind of a Mongolian warrior to push through everything. Yeah. Base camp is actually a pretty good place to live because yeah. you can see the mountaintop and you're doing pretty good. Going up higher, you better know what you're doing on a raw food diet, especially if you're five, seven, ten years into it. Got to be emotionally wired well to handle a raw food diet. Yeah. I've seen some pretty kooky raw foodists after Not a few Fred. Years. Fred is the most grounded 
MF, I know, motherfucker, I know. <laughs> Very ground, grounded in science. And if you listen to him talk, yeah. it's a little bit calmer version of me. You know, he's a little older and more mature about it. His practice for 47 years was his PhD in nutritional counseling. His practice for most of his life has been helping people who have terminal illnesses either die less painfully or live longer or be cured. And my involvement with him in eight years is just being very lucky to watch him work with some very sick people and then from that develop good questions. Why is that happening? How do I avoid that? Why did that guy not make it? How come she's making it? And just start looking at this from a very scientific perspective. I'm not anti-science. I love science more than I like hocus-pocus. Not an Ayurvedic medicine guy. I understand why it's not right. Don't believe in the macro diet. Not a Chinese herbalist. Strictly chemistry of the body. But I put a little spiritual twist in there because it sells more bottles. <laughs> right on, dude. All right, I got to ask you both my final question. All right. I'll start with you. Who have been three teachers or teachings that have profoundly impacted your life that you might share with the audience that they can go learn from? He's a great teacher to me. Thanks. Clearly. <laughs> As far as food or just in general? No, no, life, anything. Philosophy, book, film, someone that our audience can go look up and study their work. Any sort of teacher. Yeah, I have a lot of personal from. teachers that I learned from. I mean... You can give that. That's fine. As far as yoga, I, yeah, we, we're really big, dedicated students of Dahmer Yoga Center and Lighthouse with Jared, particularly Jared and another teacher, Yoshio. All three of them, we... These like are here to, in the city? Yeah, they're all in the city. Cool. Diet-wise, I've always looked up to Fred, even prior to meeting him, because I was a raw foodist, and he's one of the most popular raw foodie guy out there. And spiritually, I mean, we go to shamans, so <laughs> we have a few shamans here and there. You can't look them up, though. All right, yeah, I know. They kind of stay underground. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's right. They can remain anonymous. Not a, No problem with that. All right, so how about you, Marcus? My father is a great teacher for me in compassion. My partner, Michael Karsh, is a great teacher for me in having an analytical mind and in business. Fred Bishi is a great mentor for me in lifestyle and compassion and integrity. Teresa is obviously a great teacher for me because I think she's holds a lot of these principles in high regard and practices them and it's separate from me. It has nothing to do with me. And so a lot of times I can look to her and say, you know, she's actually has an easier time with this aspect than I do and, you know, we can play off each other. I love yoga as a physical practice. I'm a cynic. I'm not a chanter. I'm terrible at meditation. Um, but I love it as a physical practice and I and I believe Why it. does that not shock me? <laughs> um I'm the opposite. <laughs> so I, I so there the my yoga guru, so to speak, is someone I met twenty years ago who I truly believe is an enlightened yoga teacher, Sadhguru Sri Yoga Paramahansa. I think I said that right from Japan. And his teachings don't include chanting and he only has sixteen asana he teaches and his message is you do yoga to control the body, to get to control the mind, to meditate, focus on the breath. And realize in your meditation, you were never born and you never die. And I'm, that's not a message that's very easy for me to grasp onto in the here and now. I know that it's, a, it's like a vegan raw diet. I know it's the mountaintop. I'm kind of still following the very physical practice of yoga. I like to push harder and go deeper into the range. And I do know that focus on the breath is epic for relieving stress and really just concentrating. I believe in that. I think that 
you know, I'm in a weird stage in my life. I feel like I'm in my teenage years again because I got to a point a few years back where I thought I knew everything and I had a path and I was going to do right. And now I feel like a goofy teenager again, popping zits in the mirror, metaphorically, trying to figure out what I want to be when I grow up. And I know that I have to make money to be a prolific healer and to actually be a philanthropist. I'm probably not going to be a person working in soup kitchens as my philanthropic work. I want to be something so much bigger. And I've, what I've realized now is with my partner's help, the two of us have become very unpredictable legends of the food industry accidentally because of what we're doing. We're showing industry that you can actually have a nice size business without poisoning the food. How far we go with it will determine how bigger businesses look at this. And they have to look at this because they're losing ground in what they're doing. So those are my, my you're my role model. I want to have 900,000 listeners to my, my dribble on a weekly well, you, basis. What do you have? You're going to have one right now. Well, how many, how often do you publish your? That was, it comes out once a week. So I just yeah. passed up a year. June 6th is my anniversary. And uh, oh, right shit. now I'm sitting at about, I think, 850,000. You're downloads. my guru, man. Casey Neistat's yeah. my other guru of social yeah, media. I know he's, he's I'm a very beast. Good, good friends with him. I'm very good friends with him. He's a great. He we, seems like we a talk great guy. in one sentence dialogues. Hey, you want to go to the gym? That's it. Then a week later, I'm like, Yeah, which gym? What time? Sorry, man. Uh, Six o'clock. Great guy, legend. Yeah. I mean, what he does yeah. is unbelievable. Yeah, what you're doing is amazing. I have nine listeners, so you know, and I know why. <laughs> by the way, my message is not. I know that I am not the prophet. All I am is the teacher to you. You're the prophet. If I can teach you with your due respect and your permission, you will bring the right message to the people. And yeah. I said what Burritos, I when you go into, yeah. I mean, every single juice press, everything that you read in the stores, he's written every well, single thing. The, when you go on the website, it's, it's all him. It's not about me anymore. It's not about <laughs> me. That's one of the first things that struck me, actually, was like all the funny like messages and all that, that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Because it was like a little bit out there, you know, in a cool way. It gets your attention. I always I'm, thought yeah, that marketing I'm Norman, was I'm smart. Norman Walker. Norman Walker in my opinion, died in oblivion. But he made a huge impact on me, made an impact on you. Yeah. So we all have to do our part. I definitely see I'm not driven enough to be popular and famous. I want to make money, support my family. I enjoy what I do. I'm not driven to have 2 million followers. I don't know how to do that. And also, I don't spend time focusing on it. It's not something that I need to accomplish at this point in my life. Oh, yeah. I'm more interested. I don't want to write books. I want to write postcards. If I could say what I need to say on the back of a postcard is what I do. In the store, you can see I have all these yeah. wacky messages. That's my legacy. So, you know, that's just a little diff- different approach. Awesome, man. Well, listen, in closing, where can we find any websites and social media, speaking of that, for either or both of you? You go to uh, www.psychopath.com. You'll find my... <laughs> uh, well, obviously, we have the juicepress.com. Yeah. He yeah. writes everything on Juice Press. I write it and I'm filtered and edited by my brilliant partner, Michael. If it was just me writing free-flowing, it'd be a lot harder to read. A lot of typos. I don't have a personal website. I have a social media page that tinkers along and, you know, I got 4,000 followers. I don't know how that happened. I'm always, I'm always excited when there's like 4,001 and then I'll post like <laughs> the wrong picture and then it goes to like 3996. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. like, I'm losing followers. What's <laughs> happening here? I'm not a millennial. So I do pretty well with technology, but it's yeah. still pretty uninteresting to me. You just go to Juice Press, pick up the postcards. I write all this shit in the postcards, you know, that says, hey, yeah. dummy, stop eating processed food. You want to fix your problems? You don't need anything. Just stop eating processed food. It's a minimalist message. Yeah. Who's going to do that? 
It is. Well, I encourage everyone to get to Juice Press when you go to New York. That's why I tracked you down, dude. I like what you're doing. Uh, do you have anything you want to promote? Social media, websites? I'm just, website? I mean, I'm like him pretty much. I don't really promote it like that. I just have social media, like my name that you have, Teresa C. Delarenko. Cool. But I'm not, I practice way too much yoga to have time. Right, it's all good, man. <laughs> to, do to, yoga, to be a mom, be happy. <laughs> I, I respect that. Well, thank you both for coming Thanks on the show, lot. dude. Really appreciate I'm glad it. we finally got to get it done. And uh, until we meet again, fare thee well. Thank you. Okay, so that brings the 127th episode of the Lifestylist podcast to an end. Are you pumped right now? Listening back to this one, I got really excited. Like, I love Marcus, man. He's got so much enthusiasm for life. Dude's on fire. I'm like, ready to do some shit now. So thank you so much for joining me in this conversation. And man, let me just tell you what. If you, if you live in New York, you're at Juice Press every day. I already know that. You probably spend, you know, 20 grand a year there. But if you travel to New York, you might find at times it's difficult, whether you be vegan, paleo, whatever. It's difficult sometimes to find really healthy organic food. It's, it's getting better, but it still can be rough out there. So I love that there's a zillion juice presses all over Manhattan and I guess probably Brooklyn too at this point. Um, that you can stop in and grab like a really great and healthy organic raw smoothie or juice. It's, it's a really good find. So very grateful I was able to track uh, he and Teresa down to have this conversation. Okay, so check it out. You want to go to Organifi.com and support our sponsor and support your health. That's Organifi with an I at the end, Organifi.com. And then don't forget to go to healthiq.com forward slash lifestylist to see if you qualify for some really discounted health insurance based on you having a really healthy lifestyle. So I love it when you support the show and support our sponsors. And you know what? I love it so much that I talked Organifi into giving you a 20% discount if you use the code lifestylist. See, that's what's up. And don't forget, you can find all of our show sponsors and any of the products that I represent and have discounts for and things like that over at lukestory.com forward slash store. And that's where I put like all of my favorite things. It's called Luke's Master Market. So just know that if you're like, oh, what was that cool product he mentioned? It's probably over there at the store. Okay. And then check it out. I also want you to remember, uh, you can win tickets to Longevity Now. Like, I have three pairs of tickets worth a 1000 bucks each pair. And you can get yours for free, probably, if you get on the ball, by just texting the word Longevity Now to the number 44222. It's super simple. I'm never going to call your phone. No one gets your number. Nothing weird happens. You're just going to get a prompt that says, enter your name and email, and then you'll be notified on April 27th, one week before the event, if it was you that won. And if you do, it's going to be a party. If you want to just buy tickets to Longevity Now, you can go where you can find all the events that I participate in at lukestory.com forward slash events. All right. So that's all I got for you. I look forward to bringing you Tuesday's show with the fantastic David Wolf. And this one is going to trip you out. So get ready. I'll talk to you then. Thank you.